0: Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. We're planning on having Crystal read either two or three chapters at a time, and then discussing and releasing releasing all three of those readings as one podcast. So in one reading episode, we'd put out three chapters worth of material. And then, for the next three weeks, have three weeks of discussions. So for those of y'all that want to listen to the readings, you'll still have them. For those of y'all that have no desire to listen to the readings, there's the, the release schedule for them is further apart. So we'll get through more of our discussions, but we'll do less reading of it
1: that's a a way to condense it without doing multiple episodes a week
0: right so earlier uh when we first started we were doing one discussion and one reading per week
1: getting through one whole chapter
0: getting through one whole chapter every week that schedule did not work for us because life yeah life is life. we, we have to live it so after coming back after January, we decided to go back to drop down to releasing one episode per week. Well, we feel that that's not enough discussion, and the discussion is the the main focus of what we're doing, and it's the meat. It's the yeah, it's the meat of what we're doing. And so, if we're not doing the discussions, then the the the, the readings are more filler in terms of the what we're the material that we're putting out. So, so yeah, this will be, we'll do this discussion and then next week we'll put out a, an extended reading episode. And then for the next couple of weeks after that, we'll put out discussion episodes. So that's the plan. Hopefully it'll go well. I'm kind of excited about it because that means we get to discuss more and cover more material, which I enjoy. I enjoy this part of it.
1: It'll be going through three chapters in four weeks as opposed to three chapters in six weeks.
0: Okay, so we're on chapter VII. Was it five, six, seven? We're on chapter seven. <laughs> Roman numerals are hard, man. This is the parent as schoolmaster, which I'm going to say at the start is kind of a misnomer because she doesn't really talk about parents as school teachers, I guess.
1: Yeah. When I read the the title, I thought, you know, oh, parent to schoolmaster, they're going to talk about what we have to do as a schoolmaster because that's different. And now as I say that, she's talking to parents who are planning on sending their kids to school, not that are planning on homeschooling.
0: Or she's talking more directly about the parents that were sending children to her school.
1: Yeah. Saying, don't do this. Don't make us do this.
0: Right. She's talking about, hey, this is my job as the schoolmaster. And if you would do your job, then my job would be better and easier. Yeah. So she starts off with some thoughts about what other people think the schoolmaster should do. The schoolmaster will make him sit up. Sit up, that is, come when he's called. Apparently for the remark concerned a young person who went on spinning his top with nonchalance, ignoring an intermittent stream of objurgations from his mother, whose view... Was that bedtime had arrived?
1: An objurgation is a harsh rep- reprimand or criticism.
0: You Go to bed! Child. Go to bed!
1: Go to bed! Go to bed!
0: You're the bane of my existence.
1: Yeah, and the kid doesn't care because they have not been taught to obey and listen right away.
0: Yep. And she goes on to say, "Circumstances alter ca- Ooh. circumstances alter cases, but is." is it unheard of in higher ranks of life to trust to the schoolmaster to make a child sit up after a good deal of mental and moral sprawling about at home my thought of this is that she's talking about higher ranks of life talking about once people have grown up is it still the schoolmaster's job to tell the kid what to do i don't think that's
1: act? i don't think it's later in life i think it's the the class echelons
0: okay that makes sense
1: Poor versus middle class versus upper class.
0: Because uh, they're
1: talking about circumstances.
0: True. So the the higher your economic standing, the more you trust that the schoolmaster will make your child sit up straight.
1: I don't know. I don't know if she's saying it's more likely in those higher echelons or less likely.
0: Or is it more likely that you as a parent expect that that's the behavior that your child should exhibit while at school regardless of what behavior your child has at home i don't know
1: or is it that I, I it could go either way that that the lower class has more time to keep the child in line as opposed to the upper class or the upper class has more time as opposed to the lower class i think it goes back to she was talking about how parents are awakening to their duty as parents their their highest calling and their she said, even leaving what? Even leaving society.
0: That makes sense. It was a couple chapters ago, if not one.
1: Oh, no, it was a while ago. It was at the beginning.
0: It was chapter one.
1: Yeah, chapter one, page two. <laughs> um, courtly mothers retired from the world, sometimes yeah. even left their husbands to work hard at the classics, mathematics, sciences, and they might, with their own lips, instruct their children.
0: Because the bringing up of their children was the one work of primary importance for men and women.
1: So even before sending them to school, if they did send them to school, I just, I, I like this, this term, the the mental and moral sprawling. I just, it's not a good thing, but it's, it's descriptive.
0: It's very descriptive.
1: Concise and descriptive. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's honestly something I see myself doing a good deal of is mental and I don't know about moral sprawling, but definitely mental.
1: I looked up sprawling and it's for later on when she says sprawling is an ugly word. And so I was like, well, if it's an ugly word, let me actually get the definition of it. Find out what it is. It is to be stretched or spread out in an unnatural or ungraceful manner or to sit or lie in a relaxed position with the limb spread out carelessly or ungracefully.
0: Yeah, that's how I sit always.
1: Maybe you should change that.
0: Yeah, I wasn't taught right as a child. We'll get to that later.
1: <laughs> oh, goodness. So the you ne- know your mom listens to
0: this. So the next section, <laughs> love you, Mom. The next <laughs> section is reasons why this task is left to the schoolmaster. And she goes through a litany of excuses, starting with, Oh, he's a little fellow yet. He will know better by and by.
1: There are seven excuses, one for each day of the week.
0: Look at you being all fancy.
1: I just counted them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I just, I skipped over them as I read.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. But it ends with, when he's older, he will know better. Time cures many faults. And we hear, we hear things like this all the time from parents. I, I guess not we, me and you, but we as a society hear these comments or read these comments. And we take them to mean We take them to mean things that they don't necessarily mean. But there's a lot of the, well, we'll let him be a kid now. Later, we'll teach him how to be an adult.
1: So can the schoolmaster do this? Uh, Um, His real and proud successes are with the children who have been trained to sit up at home. And this goes back to page 13.
0: Oh, I missed it. That was a callback.
1: Yeah. Only at home can children be cha- trained in the chivalrous temper of proud submission and dignified obedience.
0: I had that highlighted even back in that chapter. That's in chapter 2, Parents as Rulers. Yeah, no, that's true.
1: So, if parents are appropriate rulers of their home, then the schoolmaster can do great things with these, these children. Even beyond the ambition of their parents their quiet sensible matter-of-fact parents and i think this is a scripture callback first thessalonians 4 live quietly mind your own affairs and work with your hands
0: oh yeah okay
1: well and it's interesting here how both the schoolmaster and the parents don't take credit for it the, the parents are being you know the quiet sensible matter-of-fact parents and the schoolmaster's not taking credit for the happy results it's all the child moving into a man yeah, or woman true. and and that's the crux of what charlotte mason is talking about is the education of a child is has to be self-education it has to be self-learning
0: yeah it's it's up to the child to learn things it's up to the kid to it's up to the kid to, to learn
1: and it's up to the parents to train them and it's up to the schoolmaster to
0: give them opportunity to learn
1: to launch them into successful careers yeah and it goes on to say you know you can do anything with so and so his parents have turned him out so well and again the master's taking little credit mm-hmm. so this is frustrating she asks a question now the answer to this query concerns parents rather closely what and how much can a schoolmaster do to make a boy sit up who has not been to the manor bred? I don't think she actually answers this question.
0: It's rhetorical.
1: But I wanted an answer. She's asking a question, and the answer concerns the parents. I'm a parent. I need the answer to the question. The, the answer is none.
0: He he can't. No, she she does answer. No no no. Suasion. Suasion. Wow. No She's suasion will make you. Persuasion just take off. Y- yeah, card. I I caught that as I was reading it at one point. Seussation, no suasion will make you sit up if you are an oyster. No, nor not even if you are a cod. You must have a backbone and your backbone must have learned its work before sitting up is possible for you. I.e., if you don't have a backbone, you can't sit up. If your parents haven't taught you how to sit up, your schoolmaster can't teach you either. The, the schoolmaster can't. The, the schoolmaster's dealing with, how many other children at the same time and he's trying to teach them things i think i think she answers this question by by moving on to this example of backbones and and invertebrates invertebrate invertebrate
1: i don't know i, I she gives the example but
0: i well then she goes on sometimes the result is surprising they sit up in a row with the rest and look all right even when the props are removed, they keep to the trick of sitting up for a while. The schoolmaster begins to rub his hands and the parents say, I told you so. Didn't I always say Jack would come out right in the end? Wait a bit. The end is not yet.
1: I think that's kind of like, hold on, hold your horses. The show's not over yet.
0: Yeah, the fat lady hadn't sung yet. It is not over yet. So I think that's the answer is that, yeah, the schoolmaster can prop the child up. He can give it a board that forces the child to sit up straight but unless the child has learned at home there's no way that the schoolmaster is going to be able to teach him to do anything like that okay i think that's where she's going with this i could be wrong but it seems to me that it's it's a slightly rhetorical question like how much can the schoolmaster do the schoolmaster can't do anything
1: i guess that that is very relevant or our our terms versus their terms to behavior issues issues in school where instead of being able to yeah. teach the the teachers have to work with the students about discipline and about you know not talking in class and not disrupting class and all of the things that go into that
0: yeah where how much better would the classroom be if the te- if, the, if the teacher didn't have to worry about forcing the kids to sit down and be still.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There was uh there's a show I watched. It's an old HBO show called The Wire. Now it's on HBO. So definitely not kid friendly. It's a show about gangland in Boston. So anyway, in the third season of the show, one of the main characters becomes a teacher for a poor black school in the community and he's trying to teach these kids, and he's trying to teach them, he's trying to teach them, and they don't care. The kids are rambunctious, they're loud, they're ornery, they're, and they just don't care. They don't see education as being a worthwhile part of their lives. The majority of the boys are a part of the, the drug trafficking, and the girls are interested in basically getting knocked up so that they can live on government subsidies. That's the people in his classroom. And sure, it's not everybody, and it's a TV show, so the portrayal is slightly off, but what he finds out, or what he, what he ends up doing is he brings in a set of dice, and he starts teaching the children math using probability with dice. And so he he's playing with them, he, he's gambling with them, essentially. He's teaching them how to gamble by looking at odds, by counting up numbers. And over after a week of teaching these children with games and and uh, gambling and betting and poker and other things like that, all of a sudden all of the kids are interested. They're all fully vested in what's going on. and they're all listening to him and they're not being ornery to each other. They're interested in learning. And so there's a there's a stark difference in in that show at least between, the kids before they're interested in the education and after they're interested in the education. And, and that is a, that's a switch that he's able to, to flip on them, but, but when they're interested in it, they're, they're fully invested, they're sitting still, he's not having to deal with them not, not sitting up straight. And I, I see pieces of that in here that that if you have a full classroom of children who can't sit up straight, who won't sit up straight, who won't listen or won't self-discipline themselves then you're never going to be able to get to them, and they're never going to be able to want to learn anything because, well, they don't have the self-discipline to sit down and do hard work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, anyway, huge disclaimer about the wire. There's a bunch of language and violence and other such things. So,
1: yeah, that's that's where it, where it goes. And again, back to the whole the child has to be invested. The child has to have the self-drive. The inner drive to learn. Yeah. Where the teacher can teach, but if you're teaching to an oyster or a cod, not much is going to happen.
0: Right. Well, and we'll get to that in a bit as we talk about uh, Edward Waverly, but we're not there yet.
1: Early habits are vital.
0: Reversion to these takes place, and Jack sprawls as a man, just as he sprawled as a child, only more so. What you learn as a child, you return to as an adult. Mm-hmm. And once the habit is formed as a child, it is really hard to break that habit as an adult.
1: And when you stop doing a habit, you revert back to what it was normal, what was before that habit.
0: Right. Now, one of the things that interested me is she, she continued on here and she said, uh, let's see... Various social props keep him up. He has the wit to seem to sit up. He is lovable and his life is respectable. And no one suspects that this easygoing Mr. John Brown is a failure. A man who had the elements of greatness in him and might have been of use in the world had he been put under discipline from his infancy. And it makes me wonder, what is Charlotte Mason's definition of a failure? Because this description Would, of Mr. John Brown here doesn't sound that bad. He's lovable. His life is respectable and no one suspects that... And, and he's easygoing.
1: Is it not living up to your potential? Because that's what she's talking about is... Sure. If, if he had this discipline, this ability to sit up in him from infancy, he could have been great. Instead, he settled for good or good enough.
0: But is that a failure?
1: that's what she said i mean that's, i guess that's what she said
0: that is that's what she said <laughs> oh man that's not getting cut out by the way <laughs> <laughs>
1: why do i trust you with the editing <laughs>
0: i don't know i don't know it seems like a really bad choice uh where was i going
1: might have been of use in the world
0: is is the value she ascribes to people based on the usefulness in the world that the individual has?
1: See that that doesn't jive with everything else I've read. Like but she's
0: were the Wright brothers of great use to the world because they were bike shop repairmen that discovered flight, and every other bike shop owner is worthless because they didn't discover flight.
1: That's no. That's wrong. I know. Okay.
0: It's, it's a terrible argument, but...
1: And, and I think it depends on the person. And are, are they working up to their highest potential? Those those elements of greatness.
0: So I guess would the Wright brothers... The, the Wright brothers would have been failures if they had not pursued that dream of flight?
1: In this instance, yes.
0: Because they had that in them to do using
1: using this charlotte mason quote yes
0: gotcha but that doesn't mean that every bike shop repairman should aspire to flight
1: no if through the fault of you having a lack of self-discipline a lack of willpower you choose to take the easy route instead of pushing yourself to do something you might have been able to Uh, i'm listening to another podcast from a doctor And she just was talking about how she pushed herself to get to med school. She started out first year undergrad, tons of pre-med students. And by the time she graduated, that had been narrowed down and weeded out. Mm -hmm. So those individuals who had that spark of greatness, and not necessarily all of them, but those that could have and chose not to apply themselves and have the discipline that was taught to them from infancy to continue and push on to to do the work to do the studying to mm-hmm. put forth the effort in the classes and the relationships and all of that and instead chose to party sure. instead chose to um sleep or video game or uh, sororities and fraternities and chose to do the couple years
0: of my college
1: chose to do other things
0: yeah that makes sense
1: and she went on to say you know she got B's but she worked her hardest to get those B's and her professor knew it multiple professors knew that and her general advisor was saying oh take a year or two off then apply to med school and try to improve your transcript improve your record She's like, "No, I, I want to go straight to med school." And so her advisor, her her more specific advisor worked with her and wrote a recommendation such that the colleges or the the grad schools knew that those Bs were well-earned hard-earned Bs. And she got in. She went straight from undergrad mm-hmm. to med. And so it's 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 it seems like it's that not if you are complacent and let yourself not rise to the level expected of you and not rise to that level of possibility in you mm-hmm. I think that might be where she's going that with. makes sense who, who I didn't even look at this section. I'm thinking of this right now. that's
0: funny. That's funny. Uh, who who's the that podcast you mentioned?
1: It is um, weight loss for busy physicians with Doctor Katrina Ubel. I think
0: we'll put a link in the show notes. If Crystal I do show notes this show week. Notes. <laughs> if Crystal does show notes, there will be a link in the show notes.
1: Yeah, sorry about that, guys. I didn't do them last week, two weeks ago.
0: Yeah, I figure I plug Rogan's podcast enough. You may as well get to plug anybody, anybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> Crystal, I know, has been enjoying that podcast quite a bit.
1: She takes life coaching and applies it to weight loss and how to do that specifically as a physician. But I'm not a physician and it is really nice
0: to not be a physician.
1: It it, (laughs) the, the things apply in different ways in my life. Sure. So.
0: okay, so let's move on. To mental sprawling exemplified in Edward Waverley.
1: Edward Waverley or Waverley is a book written in eighteen fourteen. It was published anonymously, and it is generally considered uh, like a turn of the genre, the first type of like historical fiction type thing. And it was published anonymously, but pretty much everyone knew it was by Sir Walter Scott. It was very well received. And so it's talking about this, the young man, he was in the midst of uh, Scottish and English wars. So she she starts her quote where he's talking about his powers of apprehension. And I'm going to back up into the chapter and read a little bit more. He had a tutor who was not only an excellent classical scholar, but reasonably skilled in science and a master of most modern languages. He was, however, old and indolent, and the recurring interregnum, the government getting suspended, during which Edward was entirely free from his discipline, occasioned such a relaxation of authority that the youth was permitted, in great measure, to learn as he pleased, what he pleased, and when he pleased. This slackness of rule might have been ruinous to a boy of slow understanding. And who, feeling labor in the acquisition of knowledge, would have altogether neglected it, save for the command of a taskmaster. And it might have proved equally dangerous to a youth whose animal spirits were more powerful than his imagination or his feelings, and whom the irresistible influence of Alma would have engaged in field sports from morning until night. But the character of Edward Waverley was remote from either of these. And that's where the powers of apprehension start. Hmm. So uh, Sir Walter Scott specifically says he was permitted to learn... As he pleased, what he pleased, when he when pleased, he pleased it. because of a relaxation of authority and an old, an old and indulgent tutor. And so goes on to say, you know, he makes it work, but it's not good. Mm-hmm. And in a review, it says, of Waverley himself, we shall say but little, as his character is far too common to need a comment. We can only say that his wanderings are not gratuitous, nor is he wavering or, and indecisive only because the author chooses to make him so. Every feature in his character is formed by education, and it is to this, this first source that we are constantly referred to for a just and sufficient cause of all the wandering passions as they arise in his mind. So the reviewer here, Lord Byron, states base, exactly what Charlotte Mason is stating, you know, the, the fault is in his education the fault is in that he was allowed to do what he wanted mm-hmm. when he wanted mm-hmm. and yes he learned yes he, he he was able to do this because of his his temperament right but he failed to get the alertness of mind and self-restraint to make a man of him he failed to get the power of self-direction because I ought had not waited upon I like Mm-hmm. And he was never, he had never learned to make himself do the thing he would.
0: He, he felt himself a victim of his circumstances. Yeah. Never rose above it. So. Interesting. Interesting. So it's a big old example of a guy who, given proper tutelage, could have been something because he was very intelligent. He was dedicated to learning to a certain extent. And he had all the resources in the world. But ended up squandering it all I'd, because he had no backbone.
1: I did another search in, in the book, Waverly, for the word wavering. And there's a, ch- a quote in chapter seven. The truth was that the vague and unsatisfactory course of reading, which he had pursued. So the vague and unsatisfactory is back to that what he wanted, when he wanted, right. how he wanted Worked upon a temper naturally retired and abstracted, had given him that wavering and unsettled habit of mind, which is most adverse to study and riveted attention. Hmm. So instead of pushing himself for, to study and riveted attention, he went where he wanted, how he wanted. And so if it was too hard or too laborious, he would, leave he would move to something else.
0: I.e., he had no self-discipline. Yeah. Interesting. He chased after pleasure.
1: And it made a decent life. Many pleasant things befell him. He blundered into many most interesting misadventures. And his life ended up being decent.
0: Being fine. Again, going back to Mr. John Brown. He's lovable and his life is respectable. And no one suspects that this easygoing Mr. John Brown is a failure. Yeah. I.e. a person that's that intelligent that's that smart that that's that who is that willing to learn should be able to do so much more than he did
1: his abilities were even brilliant
0: right okay that makes sense of of explaining that quote about mr john brown being a failure and hearing what her belief was on what is a failure and what makes a failure out of a person
1: i think this is only one way
0: true But this is the way that we're talking about right now. True. Okay, so moving on to the next section then is parents are apt to leave training in self-compelling power to their schoolmaster. They do not give their children the discipline which results in self-compelling power. And by and by, when they make over the task to another, the time for training in the art of self-mastery has gone by. And a fine character is spoiled through indolence and willfulness.
1: And this speaks to the importance of the early years, because at the point where you are giving the task over to another would be primary school would be. Yeah. Um, and, and she she is OK with that. Deputing power is not something that she thinks is wrong. And that's so she's not saying that that the act of making the task over to another is wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But that time of training so that she she's by the time you give somebody to the teacher they're six seven eight years old and so this training of the art of self-mastery the the perfect window for that
0: teaching children to sit up straight
1: is when they're very young
0: yeah yeah one and she goes on to talk about that a little bit later as well So we are not meant to grow up in a state of nature. We must face the facts. So what she's saying is natural. Is natural education. Human nature. And the natural, the the human nature, what's natural, is when Stormy Harry snatches his drum from Jack, when baby Marjorie, who is not two, screams for Susie's doll, those, those are the natural inclinations of a person.
1: Well, backing up, we run into our our friend Jean-Jacques Rousseau.
0: That's true. He is here.
1: And I looked up what he taught about um, natural education. Because it says he preached the doctrine of natural education. And in a nutshell, he taught that men would be free, wise, and good in the state of nature, and that instinct and emotion when not distorted by the unnatural limitations of civilization, are nature's voices and instructions to the good life.
0: I.e., society corrupts people. And if we left people all by their lonesome, then they'd be ideal.
1: Yep. And it goes back to the beginning with all these excuses as to Mm -hmm. why to leave the children alone. So he's coming from the what is natural is perfect. The The way that the child is is the way that it should be.
0: Sure. But we know, she's, that, but we know that that's false. Uh, we, we've read our Bible and we know that there is natural sin and children are born sinful and this is the natural course for children is to scream at each other and take toys and bite and spit and scratch and get their way yeah which is not the way that society needs to work.
1: I am very impressed with this wise mother who said I always finish teaching my children obedience before they are 1 year old. Yeah. We are still working on that with many of our children, with all of our children. <laughs> and hey, so the fact that she's she states that she's done, and maybe she continues. Obviously she's got to continue. But that's the one thing that she works on. Obedience yeah. the first year, and then all the virtues as the years go on.
0: Yeah. Well, and I feel like we do we do somewhat of the same. We with the with the latest children. That slipped a little bit, a lot a bit. But that's a big theme in our house is obedience. Is mm-hmm. when we say something, you, you obey. And we're. We're trying to teach the children self-regulation and self-discipline through disciplining them, But that's something that we, we have done and we are continuing to do with, with all of our children is that's step one is you, you learn to obey. Learn to obey. When I say "Stop," you stop, which is also a safety thing, but when I say but stop, you obedience stop. It's obedience.
1: Also. Here, the reader who has not realized that to exercise discipline is one of the chief functions of parenthood smiles and talks about the human nature with all the airs of an unanswerable argument. So, to exercise discipline is one of the chief functions of parenthood. That goes back to the highest function, which is a revealer of God to their children. And page 41, parents as inspirers. And the way that you reveal God to your children is through discipline
0: yeah that makes sense so we move on to the next section which is the first function of the parent is that of discipline and it is the duty of those who have the care of childhood to eradicate each vulgar and hateful trait to plant and foster the fruits of that kingdom in their children who have been delivered from the kingdom of nature into the kingdom of grace That is to say, all children born into this redeemed world. So I don't really know how much I have to say about this quote, but but I really like the quote itself.
1: It goes on, once they believe that these possibilities are unlimited, they will forego the twaddle about nature. (laughs) Twaddle is a Charlotte Mason word that's used a lot about books, and she's using it here about a philosophy
0: the philosophy itself is twaddle
1: the the doctrine of natural education or natural education and like this whole thing about nature it's twaddle
0: it's twaddle and for some reason whenever i try and think of the word twaddle i think drivel which i think i'm i'm okay with because i like the word drivel too
1: so the first function is the function of discipline which is so cheerfully made over to the schoolmaster and she says nope nope don't do that <laughs> And we go back to education is a discipline and back to one of her overarching things. Education is an atmosphere, a discipline, a life. So discipline, what we're about to talk about, is one of the three, one of the legs of the three-legged stool.
0: One of the pillars. Yeah. So education is a discipline. Discipline does not mean a birch rod, nor a corner, nor a slipper nor a bed, nor any such last resort of the feeble. The sooner we cease to believe in merely penal suffering as part of the divine plan, the sooner will a spasmodic resort to the birch rod die out in families. We do not say that the rod is never useful. We do it say it should never be necessary. So I have a couple of thoughts on this. The first thought is that discipline shouldn't only be punishment. When we talk about discipline, It shouldn't be just, I'm disciplining you because you did something wrong. That is an aspect of discipline.
1: Before we start into what she says, I actually pulled up the definition of discipline. Go for it. There's a lot of them. (laughs) You can use discipline in two ways. It can be a noun or a verb. Mm -hmm. As a noun, one way is the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior, using punishment to correct disobedience. Another noun is the controlled behavior resulting from discipline or an activity or experience that provides mental or physical training or a system of rules of conduct as a verb it means to train someone to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience or to train oneself to do something in a controlled and habitual way
0: self-discipline yeah and it sounds like she's saying that the end of the first definition of the verb there, using
1: using punishment to correct disobedience.
0: She's talking about the punishment here,
1: the punishment aspect of discipline, because that's the one that's the first thing that your mind goes to. Right, is you, some form of some form of punishment.
0: Some form of punishment. Uh, you had to discipline your child. Well, that means you put him in a corner, in timeout, or something of the like. Which, I, I, yeah, it's, that's not the whole of discipline. Uh, we want to be teaching self-discipline to our children. We, we want to be using our disciplining our children for them to learn to discipline themselves. Yeah. That's something I know I talk with the children about on a regular basis. I can punish you, but you need to be the one that chooses to do what's right.
1: The controlled behavior of that rules or code of behavior.
0: Right, we're, we're trying to teach the children that code of behavior. So where I think I disagree with Charlotte Mason here though is that she says, we do not say the rod is never useful. We do say it should, be, it should never be necessary. And as a father of some boys, I would say that that's just not correct. That sometimes the rod is very necessary and it's very useful. And it can really help to drive home the point of, no, that was wrong. And you should not do that.
1: And I think she would agree with that. Uh, Maybe not to the extent that you're saying. I think she is talking against the fact that this is the only thing that happens. That, yes. And against the fact that it's merely penal suffering. Right. And that is the one way that it is used. And it's only used spasmodically. As a as a flare up right. type of, right. of of discipline,
0: and that makes sense. And sure, yeah if if that's the if that's the discipline that's happening, then that is then that isn't good. And that's not that's not the way that discipline should happen. Is sporadically, spasmodically, so that the child doesn't know why it's happening to him. Yeah that that's something that we've tried to be something we've tried to be with the kids is we, we try to make sure they understand why they're being punished. The other, the other thing I try to do is to lay their choices out. They'll be making wrong decisions and I'll sit down with them and go, okay, you're making these choices. You're doing these things. You can either choose to continue doing those things and receive punishment, or you can choose to stop doing those things and not receive punishment. It's your choice. You're the one who gets to choose what you are going to do.
1: Well, and you get to choose which consequences you want. Right. Because regardless if it's good or bad, they are consequences of your actions. Right.
0: And I think that's one of the ways we've worked with all of the children, with all of our children anyway, is to say, look, you're in charge of your own destiny. I will punish you if you continue doing this wrong thing. But you're the one who gets to choose. And if you're going to choose to continue doing this wrong thing that I'm I'm telling you about right now, then you're going to get punished. And it's your choice that is driving this. And then you get to have the fun conversation of I don't want to punish you. I don't want to put you in timeout or do whatever it is that that, that punishment is we've decided on. I don't want to do this to you. I don't want to I don't want to punish you but i must punish you if that is the choice you're making and so we do put a lot of that choice onto the children and say and give them that freedom to self-discipline themselves
1: she uses education um as another method of discipline education de- which shall deal curatively and methodically with every flaw in character and how as you're talking that's that education of what happens in life, education mm-hmm. of what happens when you do x and mm-hmm. y will happen, and when that is consistent, education is a discipline that makes sense, and this is how you learn what you learn, and it goes along the lines of habits as well. you are are disciplining yourself mm-hmm. to this thing. And it is in the nature of the child to submit to this discipline, but it's also the nature of the undisciplined man to buck against everything. Right. And so in these early years, the parent is either leaving it to the schoolmaster, leaving it to life, or taking hold of it and doing it themselves. Yep. And she would advocate for the the last. Yep. Which is, yeah, it, it can work, but the odds are against him.
0: They yeah, they absolutely are.
1: And this is where again she brings in more of her definition of discipline as more of a disciple, a discipline mm-hmm. the discipline is the state of the follower, the learner, the imitator.
0: I thought that was an interesting an interesting bit of logic. As parents, we are disciplining our children and therefore they are disciples, they're followers and discipline is the state of the follower, the learner, the imitator. That's not something I thought about before. And she goes on to say, now no man sets himself up for a following of disciples who does not wish to indoctrinate those with certain principles, or at least maxims or rules of life. So should the parents have at heart notions of life and duty, which he labors without pause to instill into his children. We have a set of maxims that we want to impart on our children
1: and ideally they should be derived from the bible
0: they they absolutely should be direct from the bible
1: but regardless of if they are or not every parent has whether consciously or unconsciously, they have a set of Mm -hmm. of maxims rules of life principles that they will be instilling into their children yeah and i think this next part how they're lured they do not trust a force but to the attraction of doctrine the persuasion of his presentation and the enthusiasm of the disciples. I think that goes back to her saying that the rod is never useful or not, not saying that the rod is never useful. We should say it should never be necessary. So in the fact that they are our disciples, they should want what we want. We should have a good doctrine that's attractive and we should present it in a good way. We should not have to resort to the rod.
0: We shouldn't have to beat them so they sit up straight. Yeah. And that makes sense. That makes sense. The The rod shouldn't be used to force them to learn things.
1: And it should not be your first resort.
0: No, it should be one that's that's held as a last resort.
1: So then she talks about how you indoctrinate your pupils. Yeah. Steady. Which we have, I I have a negative connotation with the word indoctrinate. <laughs> uh, whether it's um, I think as
0: a society we have a negative connotation with the word indoctrinate to indoctrinate children
1: yeah and she uses it twice here but you do a little here and a little there steady progress on a careful plan mm-hmm. and that struck me you have to have a careful plan yeah you have to know where you're going to know what you want to do to be able to take those steps right
0: because if you're not aiming for anything you'll always hit your target or if you're not aiming for anything you'll never hit your target
1: oh. does that say? Go.
0: if you aim at nothing you'll hit it every time
1: so what are we aiming for faith to virtue virtue to knowledge knowledge self-control self-control patience patience godliness godliness kindness kindness love does that sound familiar
0: sounds like
1: second peter for this reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue virtue with knowledge knowledge with self-control self-control with steadfastness steadfastness with godliness godliness with brotherly affection brotherly affection with love
0: she didn't plagiarize it because she changed there was there was a couple things different in there but she totally ripped it from from peter
1: you know, if it's inspired, <laughs> plagiarism, man, plagiarism. <laughs> it's bad. It's worth saying more, more than once.
0: If you're, I mean, plagiarizing from from a from a from a human is one thing, but plagiarizing from the living word of God—that <laughs> just just sounds. I don't know. It sounds dangerous. No, so yeah, straight out of scripture. Um, all, all kidding aside, straight out of scripture, she has this, and and that's the scheme.
1: Wise parents cultivate as systemic, systematically and with as definite results as if they were teaching the three R's, and that's the goal. Especially since I'm I'm in the young years right now. We we're in the young years. Mm-hmm. We have our oldest is six, and so everything is almost almost everything is pre schooling age, where it's habits and its character and its. How you live life as opposed to history and science and reading even. The academia. There we go. The academics. And it flies in the face of of society where it's all about academics at an early, early, early age. Mm
0: -hmm. Where I I was listening to... uh, Joe Rogan? uh, No, I was actually listening to uh, Ben Shapiro commentating on... Bernie Sanders on a, on a, on a latest conversation with him. And the question was talking about uh, money for educating young children. And Sanders was saying that we need to have our children in schools, even younger. We need to get them in school at an even younger age because they're not succeeding right now. So we need to, we need to educate them even earlier. And that's a major push from a lot of different people is, well, our children aren't learning well. They're not doing good in schools. We need to get them in school earlier. And I know this is something we talked about weeks ago or months ago because I remember saying these exact words because Charlotte Mason says, no, don't put kids in school until they're six. Yeah. But our society as a whole is saying, no, the sooner you can get them into a school, the better. Get them into education and academia as soon as humanly possible and it will be oh the most better for them
1: i ran across a a quote or a tweet or something it said if we start having educators teach children how to walk starting at six months old within a generation people could be believing that you need an educator to learn how to walk.
0: That was an Instagram thing I is shared that what with it was? you. Yeah, I'm not going to look it up right now because it's buried in my feed. But yeah. Did yeah. you
1: did you share that with
0: me? I, I showed it to you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
1: Okay. There you go. You showed it to me. It was.
0: <laughs> all right, you know what? I'm going to look it up because it was it was impressive. Oh, here it is. Oh, I found it. By Jeff Graham. Yep. So Jeff Graham put out. A I have tweet. no idea who that is. I don't know, but it's on Jeff Graham's Twitter, and he says if children started school at six months old, and their teachers gave them walking lessons, within a single generation, people would come to believe that humans couldn't learn to walk without going to school. And then uh, it was it was placed it was put up by uh, hashtag sh- or uh, homeschool quotes. It
1: goes back to that. Uh Oh, movie thing. The wire. No, Goodwill Hunting. Whether you need a library card or oh yeah a yeah college to teach you things
0: yeah. Do you like apples?
1: That part wasn't not the part I'm referring it's to.
0: Wicked smart. No, it, I mean that's like a minute later. But yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. You. If you if you have a little bit of gumption, you can learn whatever you want. Especially now with the internet. You don't even need a library card.
1: So how? How does this happen? The answer covers so wide a field here that we will leave it for another chapter.
0: Yeah, she punts on this one. She does.
1: <laughs> and then it rests with parents to make low the high places and exalt the valleys to make straight the paths for the feet of their little son.
0: It's a great quote to end on
1: that is isaiah and luke
0: that's see there she goes plagiarizing again
1: that's john the baptist that is before the glory of the lord shall be revealed all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the lord has spoken and it's the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make his path straight and all flesh shall see the salvation of god so if she's, you know, doing like what Jesus does and says a little bit where you're meaning the whole thing, she's saying this discipline and this um, steady progress on a careful plan. This is how you are uh, revealing the glory of the Lord and the salvation of God to your children. Hmm. So kind of gave me shivers when I read that and put that together.
0: <laughs> Interesting. High to- calling. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. We as parents do have a high calling. It's the... What was the what was the beginning of the last chapter?
1: It's the beginning of this chapter.
0: Parents in their highest function is as revealers of God to their children. To bring the human race, family by family, child mm. by child, out of the savage and inhuman desolation where he is not, into the light and warmth and comfort of the presence of God. So... Next time, we'll start learning how to do that.
1: I hope. I haven't read further.
0: I, I mean, that's what she says.
1: No, she said we will leave it for another chapter. No, she does not well, say we're going to go on to it next.
0: Then I have no idea what we're going on to next. Sometime, we'll cover what on earth we're supposed to do. We'll get there. Stay tuned. We'll be back. But hopefully not with a tank through the wall. That's a Terminator <sighs> reference, by the way.
1: Which I don't know that I've actually ever... I don't know if I've ever actually seen that. We own
0: Judgment Day, which is Terminator 2, where...
1: I think I have, though. It's, I,
0: it's heralded as one of the best sequels of all time. Like, that one, and Toy Story, and The Godfather Part 2 are pretty much the triumvirate of sequels. yes. I put Toy Story in with The Godfather Part 2 and Terminator <laughs> Judgment Day.
1: There's another Toy Story coming out.
0: Yeah, I'm not too thrilled about that, to be honest.
1: That's number four.
0: Yeah, that's because Disney has no original ideas. See Star Wars.
1: You still need to watch Solo with me. I do
0: fun. need to watch Solo. We did finally get around to watching Ant-Man, the Ant-Man and the Wasp. That was fun. I, started, I, I finally finished watching The Punisher on Netflix, so now I'm... Starting to go through the backlog of movies I had. I watched The Hateful Eight the other day.
1: I watched Despicable Me 3.
0: The Hateful Eight is not like Despicable Me at all.
1: (laughs) It was really cute.
0: The Hateful Eight was not really
1: cute. (laughs) (laughs) She got her unicorn. It was a one-horned goat. (laughs) It was so cute.
0: One-horned goat.
1: And no one wanted to burst her bubble. And finally he did. He's like, sweetheart... It's a goat. Sometimes you want a unicorn and you get a goat. <laughs> she was like, well, I love him anyways.
0: I thought you were going to say the, the goat itself burst the bubble with his horn.
1: Nope. <laughs> nope. It slept in the bed with her. Oh, geez. And her monster.
0: Oh, jeez. This
1: <laughs> is the little girl.
0: I remember watching the first Despicable Me and thinking it was fun. Let's see. You also watched. The- I did
1: not watch number two because Netflix didn't have it. I watched Number One a long time ago.
0: I know you watched Incredibles Part Two.
1: I did. That one was fun.
0: I watched. I watched the last fifteen minutes of it. That was fun. I enjoyed it. See, what else did I watch recently? I watched some other random movies recently on Netflix.
1: I started the Gilmore Girls. I'm like halfway through the pilot, and I'm not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna keep going or not. Yeah. That's the why kids have been waking up at five or six in the way morning. early, so one of us gets up. And then gets an early morning nap, yeah, John's actually been homeschooling
0: i have i've been I've been doing school with the kids in the morning it's it's been It's been good. Crystal wrote up a uh, uh, a list of things for me, and I've been just kind of going down the list from top to bottom because that's how I do things, and it's actually worked really well. I the think,
1: little ones ignore him better than they ignore me. Yeah,
0: I I our children ignore me much better than they ignore they ignore Crystal. I don't know and if I, I should be proud of that or or what, but
1: I don't know. I need to start folding laundry though cuz people are complaining about not having clothes. Well,
0: there's kind of no more uh
1: there's socks. no more socks in their drawer or our drawer.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of on my third <laughs> pair of socks. Or no, I'm I'm on the same pair of socks for the for the third day now. I keep looking in the box going, no, nope, no more socks. All right, I'll just wear the same pair again. All right,
1: they're all clean.
0: <laughs> I know, I, and that's the thing. I know they are. I just they're in the morning. They're too far away for me to go get them. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter.